Christmas Eve. It was a great idea to climb back into bed this morning. Oh, I almost forgot. Helmets. All set? Let's do this thing. Christmas is starting now. Oh, that's right. Christmas is starting now. Oh, yeah. Christmas is starting now. Oh, that's right. Merry Christmas, everyone, and welcome to the podcast without a cool acronym. The podcast where we review Disney television animation shows. I'm your host, Chandler Deroshay. Joining me here today, we have David Gansel. Hello, I'm back. Mariah Sturgeon. Hi. And Jonathan Edward. And I'm back as well. The gang's we're all back. here. And we're feeling groovy, yes. Sadly, we do not have a movie on Disney Plus, though. We so. do not have a movie on Disney Plus. Yes. Um, not with that attitude. Announcements. <laughs> Despite all the announcements, we don't have a movie on Disney Plus, even though it seems like everything else is getting a movie on Disney Plus. Um, you know, Ferb the series is coming soon. <laughs> the series. Just, just call us the Muppets, because Disney doesn't seem to know we exist. Yay! <laughs> and I oop. We're, we're, we're technically, at least I'm technically, on their payroll, but <laughs> you think Chapek knows I exist? No way. So, so you can just pitch up the ladder, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, so we are here today to talk about the Phineas and Ferb Christmas Vacation episode. Um, this was uh, season two one, so we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but this was technically the first extended length episode, and obviously it's a Christmas episode, so that's always fun, right? Not when Christmas. Disney Plus doesn't have it all there. <laughs> yeah, Disney Plus like really butchered it when they first put it on there. I don't even know what cut that is, because there's like... A couple different versions of this episode that exist, which is kind of weird. There are there are multiple cuts because uh, it obviously aired on Disney Channel, and then what was it? ABC Family did a special broadcast of it that was like a completely different cut. Yeah, because I know originally it, the version that aired on Disney Channel was a forty five minute cut episode, and so the only way they could air it was by airing it back to back with itself. I listened to a podcast that Dan and Swampy did where they talked about that. Um, so I'm assuming there's probably a half hour cut of it. That would be like 22 minutes. Yeah, it might have been the one on Disney Plus, but I didn't watch that one. So, is that what they had to do with that? Uh, what Hallmark or Lifetime or whoever it was had to do with that 15 minute KFC commercial they just <laughs> did? Do they I have will. to double book it with itself? No, I know Disney Channel's been able to find loopholes for that because there is a cut of an episode of DuckTales that they basically were able to cut down to 15 minutes that they just play it when they need to fill a 15-minute time slot that I have seen that cut of probably 20 times. Yeah, we're not talking about the family Christmas special because there's not really much to that. I th Well, the, the family Christmas special was basically one, they needed another Christmas thing but just in the length of a regular episode. An 11 and minutes, two, so I can play it against um, yeah. Christmas Vacation. And two, it was just an excuse to use all the other songs from the Christmas album right. in the show proper. Or at least most of them. There's still a couple that aren't used. They still did the clever kind of twist on it, though, with the, uh, the idea that, like, we're parroting how most regular Christmas specials go for like live action shows. Yeah, no, it's it's really it's really cute. It's just not anything. The, that's, there's not really a whole lot to talk about with it. So. Yeah, there there it's are a lot really of really good songs. There are a lot of gags I really like in it, such as getting a big name singer guest star and not having her sing at all. Yes. <laughs> that is fantastic. That was great. I love that. It, it just doesn't really have a story. It's, it, it's just, here's all it the Christmas gags we didn't do the first time. I don't, I don't know. Doof's whole return return to the store-inator had me laughing pretty hard. That was a good yeah. one. That's true. That is a good is, one. Isn't there the part where Perry, like, goes in and he, like, dodges the mistletoe, or is that in Christmas Vacation? That, no, that wasn't that one. I, I that watched in... that one earlier today. Yeah. So let's start talking about the episode proper. So right away, you can tell that they had like a good budget for this because they actually like not only did a new version of the theme song, which the Halloween specials only kind of halfway did, but 
they also have like the, the, this is also the only time where the theme song actually directly plays into the episode. Yes. Because it's, mm-hmm. of course it starts off with the chorus and then it starts with uh, Phineas and Ferb in bed in the mor- in the morning. It's like, you know, it's a great idea to climb back into bed this morning. Oh, I almost forgot. Helmets. And it's like, of course they're doing something like that because why wouldn't they? It's so down a ski jump purely, so purely Phineas and Ferb in Absolutely. a way that- few other things are and there's also something about the fact that the episode starts at like 6 a.m in the morning that's mm. just like it's like of course Phineas and Ferb are like this is all happening at 6 a.m in the morning of course of course I I also really like just the opening shots of Danville in the winter morning oh, like so, the, there's so pretty there's a lot more detail in those background in the background art there than you usually get on the show and yeah it's it, it that opening montage looks gorgeous this whole episode looks gorgeous of course yeah. but yeah especially <laughs> that opening montage looks great um i also like when they redo the intro and just show them doing different stuff it actually has their friends like, like even after the show kind of started adding buford and belgeet in more they don't really show up in the title sequence except for maybe in those stills that are passing by towards the end um in this and in the other episode we're going to talk about next week um they're all in there which is really fun to see yeah what well, once they finally figured out what the core cast was they could you know go back and do things with them <laughs> and establish them as part of the world in the credits right yeah uh, doof and perry still never get their spot in the credits but yeah well because i i think they were really yeah they they were really trying to push that being that whole element of the show being a surprise for people who were watching it the first time yeah that's true. I, I I always think about, you know, when Milo started running and how they were gradually revealing what uh, Dakota and Cavendish's role was. And and I thought about what if they had done this with Phineas? If they had just had Perry sneaking off in the background, it wasn't until episode like seven that you find out that he's a secret agent. <laughs> that would have been mind-blowing, honestly. It would have ruined the whole idea of the formula they were going with, but honestly, yeah, that was like that would have been like really creative. But yeah. I mean, I think Kristen, Milo. This is off topic, but like Milo found like a good balance between them being a part of the formula, Cavendish and Dakota, and them not being, yeah, kind of, as it went along. So then the episode proper starts, and they're still you know just flying through the town until they start slowing down, and then of course they just have rocket boosters that kick in, and they almost run into a snowplow. And then they conveniently go up on a ramp that sends them straight towards the house. And um, while this is happening, Candace is on the phone with uh, their mom and their mom's telling them how the the plane for um, Grandma and Grandpa Fletcher is delayed and how they're going to be there like all day, which explains why they're not around for any of this. It was a convenient way to get Linda and Lawrence out of the way so that the rest of the episode could happen. And Candace is freaking out about how she doesn't think she's gotten the right gift for Jeremy, even though, of course, she has, because they both know each other very well. I think before we move on, we have to address the fact that uh, What Does He Want is actually the best song in the entire Christmas special. Honestly, that is a very good song. (laughs) And they cut it for what? For what? (laughs) For, um... Well, Daniel for not... See, all the other ones were kind of necessary to the plot, but if they were already making a 45-minute special that they were going to have to air back-to-back with itself, why not keep that song in and maybe stretch out another couple of sequences and then it could Make be it an 50 hour? minutes and they could have aired it in an hour? Because money, probably? I don't know. They they weren't yet confident in uh, the show's ability to, su- uh, to sustain an hour-long special, I guess. And boy, would they make up for that later. Yeah, and it's funny because it, it ended up being that, yeah, the, uh, an hour or longer is actually the, be- the best kind of story. It, it's, it's a harder story to work out, but it always ends up being, or at least most, mostly always ends up being, you know, really, really great when that happens. I will say there is a cut of it that does have What Does He Want in it that aired in Canada. It wasn't in the original airing, but like within that same year, we got... Like, hey, we're in the extended edition. and then they I think that version is on Disney Plus now, and during the title sequence, it has an extra little extended edition thing that kind of pops down. That yeah, that's the one that's different. on Disney Plus. We love to see it. Um, but I love how... I love how... Um, 
Linda's like, oh, forgive me, boys. Hey, what are your brothers up to? <laughs> Not a thing, which is weird. And then uh, Linda is diabolically pitting her own daughter's <laughs> neuroses against each other. <laughs> I mean, let's let's let let's but like, so the flight is coming in at six a.m. Isabella's up at six a.m. Candace is up at six a.m. The boys have probably been up since five a.m. to make the rocket booster thing, and. And the only one sleeping in is Jeremy, which is why I stand Jeremy. That's... <laughs> Not sleeping anymore. Jeremy, healthy um, sleep schedules. But of course, Phineas and Rip land in their room with no sign of them having done anything, mainly because the whole conversation about Santa needs to happen without Candace questioning them about whatever they're doing. Or, well, rather, the specific line of questioning leads to the conversation about Santa. I love how they have the different like sightings of Santa Claus that Phineas yeah. shows. That's like Bigfoot and and, and the the Shroud of Turin. The, the uh... <laughs> oh yes, my favorite cryptid, Saint Nicholas. Yes, of course, <laughs> of course. And by present, I mean letter, and by horse, I mean Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I love how Phineas is like, well, why don't you just ask him what what he wants? And she's like, you are such a child. And of course, um, she mocks Phineas and Ferb for believing in Santa, even though they're like, what, 10, possibly younger? <laughs> Letters of Santa? <laughs> That's our little kid. <laughs> what I love about that is it implies the fact that Candace doesn't believe in Santa, even though, A, we know Santa Claus is real in this universe, and she's just come to that on her own. <laughs> right. And <laughs> that she like, she's like, Phineas and Ferb, you guys are so smart, but you think that Santa Claus is real? And basically, this this is like with the thing Phineas was doing. It's like they're Santa Claus truthers. <laughs> Candace is an anti-Santer. She's uh, <laughs> <laughs> thing in in specials like this where it's like Santa is real, but there's still people that don't think that he is. It's like, well, then where do these mysterious presents come from? Because he's all actually leaving them, right? Perhaps Have you guys this ever is... heard the song I Want to Kill Santa Claus by Danny Gonzalez? <laughs> I have not heard that. <laughs> it is an amazing song. It's about the premise of the Santa Claus films with Tim Allen. Oh my um, god. But there's a line in it about How do people not believe that Santa exists? In this world, aren't adults concerned about all these gifts they didn't buy? It's a great song and you guys should listen to it because it's just like a good time. I'm in the Drew Gooden fandom. I haven't made the jump to the to the Danny Gonzalez fandom yet, but I'll get there. I'm not like I don't watch his videos. I barely know who he is, but my sister is obsessed with him. And she was talking about that one video and was like, oh, I saw that. That was circulating Twitter last year. Candace gets the idea to trick Jeremy into writing a letter to Santa. <laughs> letters as huh? brilliant idea. Let's get together and write letters to Santa and be very specific within a reasonable price range. For fun, I'll be over in a bit. And uh, then Phineas and Ferb get the idea to turn the entire city of Danville into a giant thank you card for Santa Claus. And there's the one gag that always was kind of, there's the one gag that always kind of confused me as a kid because I'm like, what was it upside down where Ferb pulls out the blueprint and he's like, as usual, we're, oh, oh, man, no, that's not at all what I was thinking. Oh, dude. Oh, yeah. That's it. It's like, what, it's like, what's it's that like, blueprint uh, upside down. It's like the Veggie Tales thing in Song of the Cebu, where there's the one slide that you just never see, and you just have to imagine in your head what it could possibly be. There's <laughs> a word of God answer for what that is, if anybody wanted to know. What there's a what? Answer? There's a word of God answer. I can't remember if it was oh. Mike or Phil, but one of them said that slide is supposed to be Larry in his underwear. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Like, oh, wow, forget about that one. <laughs> The more you Wait know. A Wait a minute. So Larry wears underwear, but that's like Donald wearing a towel when he comes out of the shower. He never wears pants. It might. This is well, me. Well, Larry like, also wears of, a like, towel out of the shower, so <laughs> very true. Right. So this is gonna be me like getting into Veggie Tales conspiracy theories, but like it could have been in a future episode because at this point they weren't animating them in clothes that often. But like in the future episodes, Larry does wear clothes in character a lot. So maybe it was like a backstage picture. Maybe it was from a college theater production. We don't know Larry. We don't know his life. 
I always thought it was so random. They actually, this is so often that they actually like reference SeaWorld in it. Like they don't try to make up something that's just like, oh, yeah. there's me and Bob at SeaWorld. There's me and Bob at SeaWorld. I feel like they were a small enough company at the time that they didn't have to worry about like. Nobody was going to sue them. But then there's they- another joke in another episode that's like way farther down the line where it's the restaurant is called McDoodles, but they use the same font as mcdonald's and I'm, they I'm talked so about sure this they got that across in 2013 but good for them anyway phineas and verb anyway yeah so we got to talk about the greatest hard cut in cinematic history where he's like verb you wonder where perry is and then la 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 oh my god the frosty bit where where perry winter times frosty follow me and frosty fucking dies frosty gets hit by a snowplow rest in peace the no way that that gag July is... this year, Frosty. That is a dark <laughs> gag, honestly. <laughs> and then so Francis great. eats his nose. Yes, monogram eats his nose when Perry comes into the Christmas party. There, there's there's something about it that's like so specifically like because it's a rule of three joke because the first is you know you get the whole thing wintertime sun follow me musical cue he gets hit by the snowplow you don't see what happens and then monogram does the whole same thing while eating his nose and then you get to the end credits and it's the gag one last time and you see that it just hit like a, a veggie stand and you finally get the full payoff and that was close it was just a really funny rule of threes one mm-hmm. the runaway snowplows also kind of reminds me of um the that same be- i mean that beat actually shows up in i think a couple different things but the one i, I remember most recently because we actually watched earlier today was Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas where there's snow clouds just like running people off the road basically. Welcome to Canada. And then you find out (laughs) and then you find out at the end that oh Goofy was driving. That explains everything. Sometimes it's the punchline that makes the the joke work. Yes, absolutely. Well I mean that's kind of that's kind of how punchlines are. Um, And speaking of things that come back later in the episode uh, I love the the whole thing with um, the Secret Santa, where Perry gets the South Tuscany Christmas CD. Oh, a South Tuscany Christmas! You lucked out, Agent P. Your Secret Santa has exquisite taste. Criminy, Carl. It's supposed to be a Secret Santa. What? No, I didn't get it for him. Huh, right. No, really, I didn't. The more you protest, the more we know you gave it to him. Fine, think what you want. Whatever. And then later, it's like. Turns out Carl was lying about getting you that Sal Tuscany CD. I never said I got it for him. Quiet, Carl. Haven't you caused enough harm? I never said I got it for him. <laughs> that is so emblematic of Monogram and Carl's relationship. I love that. It's uh, that is exactly. It's a perfect representation of of Carl and Monogram's relationship. It's so. It's just think... their dynamic in a nutshell, honestly. Exactly, exactly. And so, like we said earlier, Candace calls Jeremy and wakes him up. Candace, of course, steals Isabella's catchphrase, and Isabella is eating breakfast, and she feels a disturbance in the force. Yeah. <laughs> it's the moments like that that make Phineas and Ferb truly a superb cartoon. Honestly, I, lo- I love that. <laughs> and Candace goes through the whole thing about, oh, well, we should write letters to Santa, and Jeremy's like, Candace, this isn't one of these things. <laughs> he doesn't suspect a thing. Is this is this one of the only episodes where Susie isn't portrayed as a villain in like any way? Well, she kind of frowns at Candace, but she doesn't really do anything. So she was like, "The power of Christmas and the spirit of Christmas is going to make me be okay here. We're going to be all right." <laughs> also, because Susie's still young enough to believe in Santa, I believe that is yes. true. It's like, yeah, I true. also don't know what Susie believes because we also know she knows a lot more than what. You know, she would be a Once you left on. Yeah. Maybe Susie is Santa. Do we ever see them in the same room? No, we don't. <laughs> I, mean, I think we, we need to address the, the Santa redesign from season one, in which we saw Santa um, in the iBrobot episode. Um, oh, yeah. And it was the most stock generic Santa Claus design you could ever possibly have. This one's obviously then, better. Uh, we got an upgrade. In uh, obviously you know this because and we got uh, freaking Clancy Brown playing Santa exactly. Who also played the the sergeant in Phineas and Ferb Get Busted, so you have the you, the you two have, sides of Clancy. The two sides of Clancy exactly. What can't he do? It's a good choice to play uh, the king in the Tangled series. 
So they do the bit where Buford, Belgian, and Isabella all talk in unison when Phineas and Ferber explaining the um, the Christmas rest stop and their whole plan to turn Danville into a thank you card for Santa. And what, what's always bugged me about that is it's like, okay, so Isabella is saying all of this about writing letters to Santa and all of that, but then later they reference the fact that she's Jewish and doesn't celebrate Christmas. <laughs> My friend Carly made a TikTok about that the other day. So in this, Isabella says that she writes a letter to Santa, listen. If it plays. Remember when you wrote letters to Santa asking him for presents? Yes. <laughs> and here, Isabella says she doesn't celebrate Christmas. What about you, Isabella? Isn't there some big Christmas wish you're afraid will never come true? Oh, um, we don't celebrate Christmas. But, but I got the, the coolest, coolest stuff for Hanukkah. Hanukkah. Eight straight days of dreams come true. Okay. But then in the Phineas and Fur Family Christmas special, Isabella says that she celebrates Christmas and Hanukkah. Both Christmas trees and menorahs in Kansas. When we break into a car, Dan, I just need these answered because I just, I think about this every day of my life. And I have yet to see Dan reply. I'm, I'm sure the answer is just whatever's funnier in the moment is what's canon. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of like, oh, well, we forgot that, because I think they confirmed in an earlier episode that she was Jewish, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, it's the Mexican Jewish Cultural Festival. Oh, uh, yes, of course. That yep. was, so that was before Christmas Vacation. I was thinking that was a slightly later episode. Because I remember that, and that was great. Not to go on this tangent, but that episode is one of the best songs in There Is No Candy In Me. Yes! <laughs> So then obviously we get to Duke's plot, which is, well, I have this Nadianator that could destroy Christmas, but I just don't feel like it because I, I don't have a problem with Christmas. It was fine, which I, I love because it's such a subversion of the usual trope. And it's kind of the obvious one to go with for Doofenshmirtz because it's like, that's the funniest choice is to have him be like, no, I want to have a reason to hate Christmas, but I don't. There, there are several reasons I like it, especially now in retrospect. Uh, like, aside from just being a good subversion of the expected children's television villain trying to destroy Christmas, it is also indicative of, you know, Doof is kind of out of practice being evil right now because he was just good all fall and he's only relapsing again into being evil now. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was going to um, talk about this a little bit in the um, Happy New Year episode, too, but I feel like that's kind of a He's... relapse, too. And they, they mentioned that it's a relapse for Candace because she makes her New Year's resolution to be not busting Phineas and Ferb, but obviously so, we know what happens to New Year's resolutions. So I like the idea that part of his not quite being evil anymore is also not being evil enough to hate Christmas. Um, I also like the fact that this means uh, Doof is coded as being less evil than Melania Trump is coded as. <laughs> we all know Doof is a Hufflepuff. True. Yes, well. Tried and true. One thing that uh, I particularly like, and I know this is probably the obvious thing to note here, but I remember even as a teenager, the fact that Doofenshmirtz was so petty about these minor things that happened in his life. <laughs> but something like Christmas, he's like, it's okay, I guess. Yeah. It's like he couldn't find a, a grievance minor enough to just destroy one aspect of the holiday. Like he, you know, did with public swimming pools. Well, but when he finally does, it is really petty because it's just about a bunch exactly. of carolers that won't leave him alone, which is, again, another great gag because it's like, Oh, they're 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 literally standing there demanding figgy pudding. Give us figgy pudding or give us death. It's the principle of the thing. <laughs> it's the principle of the thing. Can I at least get a diet soda? Let's sing, oh, but it's Christmas, <laughs> Becky. <laughs> gotta get over me, Josh. We gotta talk about how that guy was in Candace Against the Universe. Oh, he was. Yeah. <laughs> He had no speaking role, but iconic. Um, so, of course, uh, Phineas and Ferb and the gang and the whole town go and Christmasify the whole town as if it wasn't already Christmassy enough. Um, 
And then Doofenshmirtz eventually does, of course, fire off the Nadianator and all of the 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 way that that um, that shot is done, where all of the post office trucks roll up. It, it, can you imagine if that actually happened in real life? If a bunch of letters of Santa got returned? <laughs> letters of Santa! <laughs> wow, That's our little kid. she's lapped us <laughs> and stamped as naughty. Well, that would be traumatizing. <laughs> That would be a uh, wild twist on the uh, Miracle on 34th Street, all the letters showing up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they've all been stamped naughty, sorry. I think that adds a whole nother level to the whole um, anti-Santers sort of thing, where it's like, if you you didn't have any other proof, the fact that all these letters mailed directly to the North Pole (laughs) got returned. That means Candace never got a letter returned, which I guess, you know, good for her. Well, because she hadn't sent one. But like when she was a kid, in theory. Yeah, but I don't. I don't know. If they returned them. But I think. I think the because the post office worker seems kind of surprised that oh, everyone got a return on their letters to Santa. Like that's not something that normally happens. That is, yes, that is true. Unless, like, um, unless it's like now where they do the program where you can adopt a, a letter to, to Santa from a kid and get them stuff, which is really cool. Two hour shipping straight to the North Pole for Jeremy. Yeah, that's the USPS guarantee. <laughs> Going back to Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas for a second, because I was watching that earlier today. Yeah, it's like Huey, Dewey, and Louie ship themselves to the North Pole, and that happens in what a couple hours. Meanwhile, if I order something that is in Tampa, it takes a friggin' week to get here, and it somehow goes through like New York City for some reason, or, or or goes through a processing plant in North Carolina. Like, why? Well, we're on the topic of unrealistic cartoon logic. We got to talk about how Jeremy pulls out that silver guitar at the end. How space. the ease with which he opens the box and is able to remove it. it it's hammer space. <laughs> it's it's cartoon rules. It's like where were the gas masks? You can't do that, though. Well, the whole gas mask debate. That's for another time, talking about Candace, (laughs) which you've already done. Uh, I got to say that Candace originally blaming all of that, like like everyone in in town getting their letters of Santa returned as naughty, um, her her blaming all of that on Phineas might be one of the meanest things she's ever done. Yeah, yeah, that's up there. Yeah, like, that's pretty mean. And this is... This is kind of going off of that. This is kind of the one time when where Phineas is ever confronted with the possibility that anything that they've done is bad because the whole thing is that they don't know that their mom wouldn't approve and that um, it's, you know, driving Candace crazy. Yeah, it is uh, like, like he's clearly like his facial expression. He's devastated by the idea they don't spend a lot of time on the existential crisis he would naturally have to be confronted with the notion that his entire livelihood has been bad and not good. Who's at the door? Oh, hey, it's Jonathan Harm. Nice, <laughs> nice to see you here. Well, good to see everybody. Where, where are we now? Are we uh, still on Christmas vacation? Yeah, we're talking about Christmas vacation. Um, we just got to where we're talking about how all the letters from Santa have gotten returned with the naughty stamp and how Candace um, said that, well, hey, maybe this is your fault, Phineas. He's like, you think this could be my fault? And he's just devastated by that, uh, by that possibility. They don't spend too long on it, like Dave was just saying. I know, you get the, you get the fun mattress joke out of it. Yes, I like the mattress joke. That is a good, that's a very good gag. <laughs> It was all about dream. Christmas wasn't canceled. Phineas, no matter how many times you try that, it's not going to work. Honestly, though, real life, take a nap, pretend that it didn't happen. Uh, <laughs> Wake up. Oh, wait, no, that was real life. It was all a bad dream. COVID didn't happen. <laughs> all I really want for Christmas is the ability to truly hate Christmas. Is that too much to ask? And um, so, of course, uh, Daljeet's talking about his Christmas wish and how he wants one sweet special Christmas kiss under the mistletoe. And Why is Buzzfeed such a simp? <laughs> <laughs> Not from you, from a pretty girl. 
Yeah, okay. okay also, this is canonically after Ginger's been pining for him all summer, so. Yeah, that's a good point. That, I've never this thought about Ginger's that. not pretty. Wow. Whoa. Wow. That's what Baljeet said, not me. Well, but if we believe that Happy New Year happens later, then they're dancing together during that, so. Wendy was I like, a, a, Wendy was a five-day crush. One thing I noticed with the Daniel for niceness scene uh, which is a really, which is a fun song. But the one thing I noticed is that you got like a small crowd in front of what looks like basically a matte painting because there's a whole part of the crowd that's just motionless and looking happy but not doing anything. But that's just animation. Yeah, I, I think somebody, uh, yeah, on the wiki, there's a lot of people that are very quick to point out errors, and they somebody said that was that's an, not an error. That's, that was, that really that was a deliberate error. choice. I, I think yeah I think it was just to save save on time you know it was just to, to save on time and not have to animate everyone although we'll see later um during for your eyes only has like they literally animated the entire stadium's mouths moving which I thought was kind of impressive going back just thinking about it's like they had to do that I mean it was all unison but still like for a whole crowd um and then of course we get Blaine and Cluent who are the elves that show up to investigate the bunch of last minute naughties from Danville. And shortly after they arrive, the everything falls into place. Santa's whole scheme falls into place and the South Tuscany Christmas CD um, that presumably he recorded himself destroys the naughtyinator. And shortly after introductions are made, it's like, oh, hey, well, that's gone. So we also have to talk about how the elves lay out basically the whole moral philosophy of this universe, which is basically what the difference between being naughty and nice is. Yeah. And how naughty people do nice things sometimes, nice people do naughty things sometimes, but the scientific reading of naughtiness is not just is 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 not just determined by a few naughty things. It's basically Basically, they can scientifically read what is in a person's soul in order to determine whether or not they deserve Christmas presents. It's like on The Good Place where every action you do has an account yes. and you have to decide whether it's a good or bad thing. And then the end of the year, instead of like when you die, it decides if you go to the good or the bad place. At the end of the year, Santa puts you on the list. Exactly, exactly. So uh, somewhere uh, Doug Forsett is getting all the Christmas presents. <laughs> It's what he deserves, but he didn't ask for anything for Christmas. There's just donations being made in his name to like yes. vegan charities in Alberta. Yeah, so the Nadianator is destroyed, but it's it's too late because Santa's not coming to Danville because they've already mapped out the the sleigh route. Even though, of course, he was already still coming to Danville because of the rest stop. Because again, this is all part of Santa's master plan. This is what I love about this special is even though it on paper breaks from the formula in some ways, it is the most pure encapsulation of what the core of the formula is, which is everything is set up perfectly to unfold exactly as needed. And uh, the only difference is usually that unfolding is caused by randomness or the mysterious force to go with Candace's theory. Uh, whereas in this case, it is all carefully constructed by Santa himself <laughs> to make sure everything got exactly what they wanted for Christmas, even if what they wanted was just an excuse to hate Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> which, which means the fact that Santa gave Doof exactly what he wanted means that Doof really has been good this year. That's, that's a good point. I hadn't even thought about that, but you're right. <laughs> Doof is not inherently a bad person. But but yeah, I just love that you can trace everything in this episode back to Santa pulling the strings. And it, 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 it's a very, <laughs> it's a very Calvinist take on Santa where like there, there's yeah. really no free will. He's just, uh, <laughs> every, I wanted a chance to be like you for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Of course, that's exactly what happens is uh, they decide, okay, well, we're going to deliver presents to, to everyone in Danville. At that point, we just get the the whole uh, Christmas is starting now song as they're going. Oh, oh and before that. Um, which which, which I heard played in a parade at Disneyland on Dick Van Dyke's birthday. Yes. Yes, that's right. 
I heard it played in that. Disney Springs on the Christmas tree trail. Yeah, they did that. Um, that. That song played quite a bit. That's still just a really good standalone song. But right before that is the the beat with Buford where the, the whole town has him turn the lights on and Buford has to be the Paul Revere of Christmas. Uh, and he rides on top of a snowplow telling everyone to turn their lights on. And he was the first person they had uh, they had on the list, but he was naughty. Uh, and like, oh, what the heck? It's Christmas. Nice. What does he want? To be thought of as nice by his friends. Aww. Wait a second. Wait a second. You mean to tell me Buford was on the naughty list, but Doof, who was like trying to actively cause harm for at least until the end of the summer, was on the nice list. But if we assume that this takes place after the bits of fall that we see in uh, Doof 101, and yeah. if, th- if this is after the Alka Files, if this is after some episodes of Milo, then... Oh, yeah. Uh, then I guess he had more than one redeeming moment, unlike Buford, who was like... But I feel like Buford didn't do as many negative actions as Doof and Schmerz. I don't know. I feel like it's it's more about the intent, like... Buford's intent was actually to harm Balji. A lot of times, like, you get to, like, bully bromance breakup, and he, like, actually apologizes. Like, so he he knows what, the, like, at times he is definitely a malintentioned bully. Yeah, but, like, Doofenshmirtz also, like, wanted to take over the entire tri-state area and cause many, many harms to Perry the Platypus. And I feel like... I, I don't know. I feel like even with the months of him trying to be good, I feel like if Buford wanted to be seen as good by his friends, and I don't know, it just it doesn't sit right with me. <laughs> I don't know. I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> there, there's a lot we can pick apart about the morality of this universe. <laughs> yeah. You gotta move on before I work myself yeah, into like, it. <laughs> yeah, how, how many times did Perry hit Doof first and Doof maybe was just acting in self-defense then instead of being well, an instigator and shot first. Well, and also <laughs> how often is just the Alka bureaucracy just so cruel to its employees that the supposed good guys are worse to their underlings than the supposed bad guys are? Justice for Carl. We got to talk about how inconsistent Alka's practice of jailing villains is as well. If we're going to go there. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, the, at the end of the present run, um, well, two things happen. First, Candace finds out that she did get the right thing for Jeremy and she needed to not be such a stressy mess about all of that. Oh, we forgot to mention the, the, the little beat earlier in the episode where she's having the conversation with Jeremy. It's like, it's like I, I just want you to tell me what you want. I don't understand. What is it you want from me? Oh, right. Like you need me to tell you that. The question is, what do you want from me? I just want you to tell me what you want. Fine, I just want you to tell me what you want. I don't want anything. Nothing? Oh right, yours is perfect and I show up with nothing. Do you want me to look like a turtle monster? Candace, that doesn't even make any sense. It's just that I think you're perfect, Jeremy. So I don't understand why you want to make me feel like I'm not. Candace, you should know me better than that. Look, I have to go home. That, that was kind of a weird moment because it feels like the two of them should know each other better than that by now, knowing that this takes place after I mean, everything else. And Jeremy even says, you, you should know me better than that. Yeah, but you know how anxiety is. When it gets yeah. the better of you, it, yeah, it overwhelms you. And, and I will say, when this episode aired, at that point, there had not been an episode aired, like Summer Belongs to You was still going to air the following summer. Right. So, like, as viewers, we didn't know that Candace and Jeremy were dating yet. We, like, I assumed because that's what I wanted to happen. Yeah. But- this this will probably come up a lot as we discuss winter vacation as well. But honestly, one of the things I appreciate that I, I don't think was necessarily a deliberate move on their part. It was just a side effect of the fact that the chronology was written all out of order. I appreciate that the Dwampyverse paints the picture of a universe where instead of like clear definitive character arcs where people fix their flaws and are all better forever, people are messy and complicated and have relapses and still like even when they get over a flaw of theirs, they still occasionally have to struggle with it. it. It's, you know, it's the same thing I loved about Last Jedi that Luke actually still had to deal with his own issues in his old age and right. here the characters just because they overcome an obstacle once doesn't mean they never have to overcome that obstacle again 
Exactly. That's a good point. Uh, then the, the other thing that happens is um, Belgique ends up going to um, fix the Jan present for Wendy Stinglehopper or whatever her name is and lives in her house and he makes out with her and leaves and presumably never talks to her again. Uh, I I, I maybe Wendy uh, broke up with Belgique because he spoiled her present for her. <laughs> He didn't even open it, and he's like, "Did anybody order a really big hat?" You know, I mean, she was excited to get it, but you know, maybe in retrospect, she was like, "And he, he spoiled. He can't keep a secret." You know, so. so I mean, but it was Christmas it. Day at that point. Like it was like after midnight. Yeah, it was after midnight. Obviously awake. So. If was 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 Wendy and Rollercoaster the musical? I don't know. I feel like. I mean, she could have been in a crowd shot, but she also has a more distinctive design than most of the random one-shot children so i feel yeah. like i would have noticed if she was in a crowd shot i'm gonna i'm gonna look that up on the wiki because i know the biggest the biggest leave out of roller coaster musical is obviously norm um, yeah. yeah i think belgeet has the most love interests of any character on that show yeah honestly mm -hmm. honestly it's i don't think there's anyone else that it is pretty amazing he managed to avoid the aversion to romance that candace against the universe had he was not immune. Even he was not immune. Ginger was in it for a grand total of, what, five seconds in the beginning? I think by the time they did Candace Against the Universe, they're like, eh, all the romantic arcs have already been wrapped up. We don't need to dwell on those. Yeah, yeah. I agree. And I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm very much fine with that. I, I was, I was, because uh, I, I love the people that were complaining about that, like, oh, why is Isabella not you know, gushing over Phineas and all. It's like, because that's not all that she does. That's not all that she exists as. It's a good chunk of what she exists as, but it's not the only thing that she does. You know, there, there, there's, a, there's a time to be serious, and that time is when your best friend's sister has been abducted by aliens. I love the meta-narrative that if Isabella didn't like Phineas, she would just be this, like, really mean like really like just constantly angry person i brought that up in my actor age video where it's like no phineas is a very important part of her life because yeah she would just be there she probably wouldn't even be the she, would, she probably wouldn't even be in the fireside girls let alone be the leader of the fireside girls they they complement each other very nicely and so then of course we get the the conclusion of everything where they land back at the house and um, when Can Candace gives Jeremy the present and Jeremy gives Candace the present, they do kind of the the gift of the Magi thing where um, Candace sold her necklace to get the silver guitar that Jeremy wanted and Jeremy sold his guitar to get the earrings that Candace wanted. And it's a version of that where they both still get what they wanted and don't lose whatever it was that made the other gift functional. That was good. And so everybody wins. And and I understand it was just probably for, for time because you know it's Jeremy just about dropped that guitar though. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean like he, the way he put it down it was like well I guess they didn't want to take too much time to animate too many frames of him gently setting it down but it's like the way he's wow, the guitar down is almost like didn't care about. Yeah. We, we discussed this before you got here. <laughs> Such a weird bit of animation. Camera space. Uh, and and but uh, you know, as long as they as long as they get their gift of the magi reference in there, it's yeah. like yes, because you gotta have that. Just hitting all the beats of Christmas stories you have to address. Yeah. Yeah, and Newman Schwartz realizes that the that Sal Tuscany was Santa Claus, and then. Um, Santa's at the rest stop and he explains to them basically it's like yeah of course I planned everything to, to make sure that everyone's Christmas wish came, wish came true because that's it's, what I do I'm Santa Claus there's also this weird little running gag with the little uh oh notification sound that never appears anywhere else in the series and it's just one of those things from the special that lives you know rent free in my head during December it's uh oh uh oh uh oh, uh -oh. <laughs> oh <AJP. laughs> the uh oh alarm it's so random. <laughs> we we didn't really talk about also at the very beginning at the Alka Christmas party when when Monogram makes Perry look at the screen where he puts up the fake uh, jacket. Oh, that was good. 
Like, even though we're in the same room, I still have to do this because I need to it's, have the. It's the procedure. It's bu it's bureaucracy. It, it, everything bureaucracy. needs to be done by the book. I like the meta narrative here that Monogram doesn't actually always know if Doof is up to something evil each day. He just has an alarm on his phone to remind him time to brief Agent P right now. So it yeah. goes off. He's just like, here's whatever Carl found. So none of the other scientists are doing anything, but it's just Doof that they're worried about, even though he might, well, he might not have done anything. He might have still, we don't know. I mean, it's like no evidence comes in. It's literally, he just says the reminder on his phone. And he's like, oh yeah, evil people hate Christmas. It's evil a cliche. Christmas. Get out there. Wasn't well, there I, an episode fairly early on where they're like, Doofenshmirtz hasn't done anything, which is suspicious. Go check it out. <laughs> yeah. I think they've done that a couple times where it's like, Doofenshmirtz hasn't done anything for like a week, so. Yeah, find out what he's up to put a start to it, I guess. <laughs> I think the best the best kicker comes when they do the the misperceived monitoring episode and you find out they've set up thousands of cameras in Doof's place just to watch his day-to-day -day life. I remember reading, um, I think it was a Tumblr post somebody made that it was about how Monogram just had a personal vendetta against Doofenshmirtz and that's why they stuck Perry on him. And it's like, I don't 100% agree with it, but I also don't 100% disagree with it. <laughs> I enjoy the film theory that Alka is actually just trying to steal Deuce technology with the whole replicator yeah. thing. That was, yeah, that was really solid. That, that was a good theory. That's a well, very no. solid theory. I, I also have the theory, like, because they almost never actually capture Doof and, in fact, get very confused when Perry does actually capture Doof. I have, I have the theory that uh, it's much more about keeping Doof occupied than, uh, than uh, actually destroying him. Because I, I have a theory that uh, Doof is what Phineas would become if he didn't have Ferb and if yes. he didn't have other friends. And I, like I, fe I, I feel like Perry's mission, I don't know if this is Alka's mission for Perry, but I think Perry's personal mission becomes less destroy Doofenshmirtz and more I need to be Doof's friend to make him not use his powers for evil anymore. And if that means beating the crap out of him, that's what it takes. Maybe Perry and Buford aren't so different. You just yeah. gotta beat the crap out of your friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to uh, we'll get to this in the next episode where we talk about the winter vacation episode. But in that one, it's kind of just like Harry's just there to make sure he doesn't get himself killed, I guess. In, mm -hmm. uh, in the case of the Abominable-inator. Because there's no other... There, the, he's not, he doesn't end up doing anything and it wears off after like 10 minutes. So it's not like anything actually happens. What's the episode where... Oh, it's it's the... Where Doof is going garage sailing. And he, he's just looking for the new switch and for his innator. And all it does is open the crab cage. And <laughs> like yeah. Perry's, Perry's got the shark on his butt. And he's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. What have I done to deserve this? I've literally done nothing evil. Um, That's right, Perry the Platypus. Go home. Do we have anything else to say about this episode? Because I think we've kind of talked about everything. Is there anything else? It's just very well crafted. It, yeah, it, it, it's a good episode. It, it, it's a fine, like, like it's one of the series' best examples of setup and payoff. And, and, which is the thing the series excels at to begin with. So, yeah, it, it, it's just super fun. And it's a good Christmas special. And there's one shot during the credits of them doing the Peanuts dance. So. Yay! Yes, I, yeah, love, I, I love, love that. I love the credits song. That's just oh, really, it's, really, it's really fun to see all, all of these characters just enjoying the holiday. Well, it's a rare Mitchell Musso song. And also allows every single running gag in the show that has not yet been addressed to get their own little Christmas feature like the farmer and the farmer's wife. Yes. yes. <laughs> it has the payoff about uh, Doof getting Perry a vase from one of the other episodes. <laughs> and, you know, it's got the Peanuts reference. It's got, you know, Buford reverting back to bullying Baljeet. You know, it's, it's kind of like it concludes everything in just a really nice way. And if it you're a super fan... In a bow. We, we like, get oh, yeah. Meep. Irving, obviously, the, uh... his Christmas present was getting Phineas and Ferb outfits and, <laughs> like, you know, that sort of thing. I think we're, I think we're pretty much good on Christmas Vacation. It's a very fun episode. I think we like it. Yes, we yeah. like it. We like it very much. All right. Does anyone have anything they want to plug? 
Uh, you can find links to all my things at doggins.com, D-O-G-G-A-N-S, all my socials, all my YouTubes, all my things. All the things. I'm at uh, youtube.com slash the second dimension, and that's with the two, so like the 2ND dimension. Lots of cool stuff on there. Uh, I am uh, Otto H adjacent on Twitter. Uh, and I still have my website that uh, I'll update someday, uh, showmecartoons.com. We'll get that, we'll get that, um, that new episode out at some point. Uh, it's, that's gonna be really fun. I'm very excited for it. And I can be found on Twitter under the username theme park trash. Although lately I've been tweeting about the SpongeBob musical and not theme parks. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. Well, I was supposed to go see the SpongeBob musical on July 28th and that did not the happen. I think I was supposed SpongeBob. to go see before that. I was also invited to see it in Toronto but I wasn't allowed to take time off to go to Toronto. <laughs> I, I say the SpongeBob musical is theme park adjacent. Yeah. It's, it's theme park related. You can find me on Twitter at Starport97 and at the YouTube channel Starport97. I've got a whole bunch of videos planned over there, including a Christmas one that should be out by now. And I'm excited for those whenever they come out. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Podcast Acronym. If you like this and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe. I'm on Anchor and all the other usual places. Google Play, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and at Starport97 on YouTube. If you want to help me out even more, you can pledge me on Patreon. Just search for Chandler Deroshay. Join us next time when we talk about Phineas and Ferb Winter Vacation. Not to be confused with Christmas Vacation because it's a completely different episode. But the theme song still mentions snow angels that fly. Yes. Winter time's fun. Follow me. You know, on second thought, don't follow me. Man, that was close.